So let's chat about a very, very tough subject, failure. It's not something that is really great to talk about. We don't like it. We don't love it. We don't like to go through it. It's a really hard season and it's not our favorite thing to do. Let's just face it. Failure sucks. Whenever something doesn't go your way, you think, I need to quit. I don't like it. Why was I supposed to go through this process? I get it. Because every single time I fail, I have a conversation with God and I say, all right, what was the point of that? (laughs) Like, I aided that outcome. That is exactly the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. And I really wanted to succeed, right? We all want to succeed. I don't think anyone ever goes into something and says, you know what? I really hope that this doesn't go well. I hope I fail. No, absolutely not. It's the complete opposite of what we hope for. Um, We hope that we're all just these amazing 500K influencers, big six-figure earners, powerful people right off the bat. But apparently, life's got other plans. So that's what this episode is about today, guys, because, wow, I'm like, I don't know, one of the queens of failing. And guess what? I've learned later that that actually is exactly what I needed to go through at the time to make me who I am. And before I kick this episode off, I have to read this quote by Winston Churchill. And it says, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. And I actually saw this on an episode I believe, I can't even remember now, but it was on Netflix the other day. And I was like, whoa, holy cow, write that down because I felt like that was me. Somehow I've been able to remain positive and somehow I'm still enthusiastic about life, even though the textbook might say I shouldn't be because I have not succeeded in multiple areas. Well, guess what? Screw that textbook definition. That textbook sucks. We're going to write a different textbook because. I'm here to prove that what you are going through, what season you're going through is very, very important in your personal growth and you're going to be taking away lessons from it that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. So say no more. I'm going to shut up. Let's dive into this episode. It's heartfelt. It's heartwarming. Maybe I cry a little bit. I sound like a wimp, but it's emotional for me and I think you're going to learn about a lot about me and a lot about yourself with this process. And we're going to have a better understanding of why failure actually means we are going to succeed. So thanks guys. Let's tune in and dive in right now. Hey world, what is up? Welcome to the show. This is Misunderstood with Kelly Hall. Oh, whoa. Locked and loaded. We've got a big episode today for you guys. And when I say we, I mean just me because I'm just a one man, woman team. That's okay. Just as powerful of a message, just as powerful as a podcast. So what I want to dive into today is failure. But like, do we, is there, do we really fail? Like, what is this word? And I don't think that we do. And this sounds like a passionate answer to be like, oh, we don't fail. But I mean, consistently, I have failed. Like I have not succeeded in things over and over and over and over and over again. I have failed a lot in my life, actually. But now I reflect back on all of those moments and I think, oh, wow, I, I really did need to go through that. That had to be a part of my journey. That was a completely 
pivotal moment in my learning process as a youth or a young adult or a college student or as an officer and or as a competitor. Like all of these things really aligned to build who I am now. And I think that's why now I can move into failure and not fear it because every time I have been through those struggles, I really have walked away with a better idea of where I'm heading. So today we're going to kind of get into my narrative a little bit. I don't mean to bore you with my personal details, but I just think it's really important. I think, you know, you know, we talk over and over again about building confidence, finding success. All of these things aren't overnight. You don't just wake up and think today's the day I'm going to be confident. Today's the day I'm going to be successful. Where's my go-to kit for success? This is truly, you know, a a process that takes a very, very long time. I mean, it really does. And I think I just got fortunate. I was very fortunate early on to start noticing these trends in myself and noticing these struggles and these successes and these failures. I mean, from the time I was a kid, even as, you know, a person in high school. And then I caught early on that if I start attacking these and analyzing, that's what we're going to go with, analyzing, that word, um, I analyzed, analyze. Why? See, I'm failing at this right now. I can't say that word. If I analyze those moments, then I learn from them and then I'm better. So all of that to say, big podcast for you guys today. Um, I'm just going to lay out my four points right away and then we're going to get into each one of them. So just hang in there because it's going to be worth it. So the first thing why failure is going to be the best thing that has ever happened to you and what you're going to learn along the way. Number one, when you fall, get back up again. And I'll explain more about this later. Number two, humility is what you will need to learn before you ever succeed. Number three, doing what is best for you will always be the right move. Number four, redefine what it means to win. Ooh, man. You would think that like I just sit around and take notes and really just build up all of these big points. I wrote that down in about five seconds. And the reason being is because I have really walked through all of these things over time and why I have built confidence from these experiences. And the first thing I want to share is number one. When you fall, get back up again. Whew. You hear this over and over and over again in pretty much any competition, any sports field, any sort of mode of first place, second place, third place. Ooh, like, don't worry. Get back up again. Do this. Gymnastics, racing, whatever it is. And, you know, as a kid, you literally fall down all the time when you're learning to walk. And mom and dad are like, get back up again. And you're like, yay, Okay but you don't realize how that's going to apply to your life later, like why you always need to get back up again. So, you know, for me, I had, I'd heard that phrase a lot. I mean, as a, as a kid, as a toddler, um, as a menace, I was one of those kids who just literally tried to pull everything in the book I could with my parents because I was a little devil and they would tell me no and I'd be like why not and I'd really give them that trouble but then there were those moments when I learned that my stubbornness could also lead to frustration in areas where I felt like I failed so 
in that same stubbornness where I was a little devil and a little menace, I would fail at something in school and be like, I don't want to do it, you know? And they'd be like, Kelly, stop being stubborn. You're being prideful. You need to get back up again and do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, fine. And usually they forced me to do that. You know, I hadn't, didn't have that capability in myself yet to see why this was valuable. So fast forward, this was actually probably one of the most pivotal things that ever happened to me. I was a junior in high school. And again, like I've said before, like had that blind confidence, you know, really was focusing on myself. My parents were so empowering. And so in everything I did, I just really did it 1000%. Well, in this case, I was running competitively at the time. I was a very, very serious track runner. Um, I ended up going to college on a track scholarship, but we'll get into that later. Um, But yeah, from the moment I found out I could run, and I mean found out, I, I was legitimately in the fourth grade and had no idea I had the capability to run as fast as I could until my dad oversaw me in P.E., running the class mile like we did like every year when you're back in grade school. And he just ended up like cheering me on. And I went from being like that chick who just hung out in the back, you know, jogging along because it was cool, like not to be fast, to sprinting. And my dad like cheered me. He was like, go Kelly, fourth grade Kelly, run, run, run. So I ended up passing up everyone in my class and I – got to the top of the class. I'd outrun all the little boys and it was just me and the fastest kid in that class. His name was Corey. And so fourth grade Kelly is like racing against this little boy and I get into my final lap and my dad is like, you can do this. You got it. And I'm like, Ooh, maybe I can. And so in fourth grade, I ran like a seven fifty nine mile or something like that. Like weirdly fast for a fourth grader. And my dad had like dollar signs in his eyes. He was like, holy cow, I think we struck gold here. (laughs) Kelly's going to be a track star. So they legitimately prepared me to run. Like I didn't play basketball. I didn't play squash. I didn't play tennis. I would run all the time. And so seventh grade is whenever I was able to go out for the middle school track team. And from there – I don't know what happened, but there was just like the spark that ignited in me. And on my very first track meet in seventh grade, I ran a 659 mile. What? <laughs> like, I don't, that's so weird to me now. I was like this track prodigy. My parents have all these little VHS tapes of me running, but we took it very seriously. I mean, it was like a career for me because they, you know, they told me, early on that scholarships were going to be the best way that I would attend college because financially um, it just wasn't in the cards for them to pay for it for me. So I knew I needed to be extra motivated. Well, I carried that with me into high school and I carried my talent and my passion for track into high school and I was motivated. I wanted to be the fastest runner in the state and I grew up in Virginia. And for any of you who don't understand track, Virginia is one of the most competitive states to run track in. It's insane. Um, Just, I mean, people there, I don't know if it's like the weather conditions or just the schools. Like, who knows? But these kids are wicked fast. So here I am, a AAA school in Virginia. And, um, you know, I'm humbled right away in in my freshman year, my sophomore year, because the girls are fast. Like, they're running the mile in the 800 and they are quick. 
but that didn't stop me. I was like, all right, you know, my 630 mile is going to have to step up. So I cut it down to six minutes. Then I cut it down to 540. Then I cut it down to 530, then 520. So I was getting faster and faster and faster every single year. My point is by my junior year, I was running um, sub 520 mile consistently all my meets. And I think I had PR'd at that time and run a 510 in the mile. And was favored to do very well at this state track meet. This was indoor track. And then another thing to keep in mind is your junior year is the best time to perform for scholarships and coaches. So my parents kept thinking over and over, we want to send Kelly to school on a track scholarship, obviously. So she's got to perform at her best this year. And we're going to do everything we can to help her in her career. So you guys have to mind the traffic in the background. LA is just booming today, I guess. So junior year comes. I'm prepared. I'm ready for the state track meet. I've been running excellent all season long, and I am favored to be one of the top finishers. So I think I want to say I was heading into this meet with about a 510 PR, and I was ranked high, and I knew – it's pretty much mental at that point. Like you've run the splits, you've done all the things, you've done the preparation and the the training and the workouts and the fart licks and all of these things. So at this point, when you show up to that state meet, it's go time. Like just know that you can do it. And I knew I could. I was visualizing. I wanted to win. I wanted to be first in the state for the mile. I wanted this so, so bad. So this year, it was being held at uh, VCU. And... So it was time. I took the line and I got ready to start. My family, my friends were all there cheering me on. And I just felt it. I felt like that was my moment. I was going to be first in the state of Virginia for the mile. I was going to break five minutes. I was going to land myself an amazing scholarship to the school of my dreams. And like no one could take that away from me. And this was just confidence. I had it. I had done all of the things I needed to do to prepare me for that moment. So meet starts, I start running, and I am breezing through. Every single lap in indoor eight total laps, I am, you know, I feel great. I mean, at no point is my breath heavy or my legs hurting. Am I in my head in a negative way? Like I am going for it. And the splits that are being called out, I was on pace for a sub five-minute mile, which would have been my PR. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And I'm in first place. And my mom is freaking out because she knows my dream. My dream is to be first in the state of Virginia for the mile, but also what that meant. That meant scholarships. That meant that stability in my future. And so I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And I hit the final leg of the mile and the bell rings. And that means that's it. You're on your last lap. Go. And for track runners, like you hear that bell. I literally have chills right now and I haven't ran in 12 years. You you go all in. Like you have never ran before. And I still had gas in my tank, which was what was crazy. I was on track to PR. I was in first place. And I hadn't even hit the gas yet. So this was my moment. And as the bell rang and I got ready to kick it in and saw that finish line and saw that first place finish, the girl in second tripped me. Face first, on the ground, planted, tripped, fallen. 
And it was a pure accident. And we actually have it on video, so we've watched it about 300 times. Pure accident. She goes down with me. I fall face first. She falls face first. I look up and see all of the other competitors race in front of me. There's probably about 10 or 12 of them. I mean, immediately ahead of me. And in track, seconds are valuable. And these these girls are now 8, 10, 20 seconds ahead of me. And I don't even know what to do because then in one second, the loss of that dream had occurred immediately. And I look over to my right and my mom was always planted at the finish line. And there were coaches on my left on the infield. And the coaches on my left were telling me, get off the track, get off the track, like move out of the way. But my mom on my right, she looked straight at me amidst hundreds of people cheering and everything else. And she says, you get up and you finish your race. And so, you know, the other girl, she actually ended up going into the infield, but I stood up and I hobbled through my last lap and I finished and I got dead last and I ran the absolute worst time I'd ever ran in my entire life. And I cried the entire time in my last lap and I received a standing ovation when I crossed the finish line. And that moment, albeit heartbroken, I mean, I cried for probably three days in a row. I was so close to my success and my goals and my dreams. And like, that was my shot. I didn't know if I was ever going to be in that place, that could have shaped that mental state ever again to win. And I didn't know what I was supposed to learn from that. I thought, what's the point of trying? Because when you try your hardest, you fail. I'm not supposed to run in college. Why would this happen to me? Why did I put my faith in God? Why? I was mad. And I was 16. And that lesson to learn at 16 was tough. And I say this because when it got time for me to apply for for scholarships in college and coaches started communicating with me, I had more coaches reach out that were there at that state track meet who wrote me letters saying they would love to meet me and offered me the ability to go tour their school because they saw me in that race and they saw me get up and they saw me finish the race. And I I could not believe that. I mean, that was months after that state track meet. But multiple, multiple coaches called my home. We're talking about VCU, Virginia Tech, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Like They called my family and said, we saw Kelly there. And we would love for her to run at our school. And you all know the story. I ended up running at the United States Naval Academy. But that proof right there is that when you fall, you get back up again. And you never know who's going to be watching or how you're going to grow from that. And that lesson at 16, oh my goodness, I feel like I revisit that same moment consistently as I struggle because I fall and I fall and I fall and I fall, but then I get back up again because I remember what came from that moment as a 16-year-old, all the offers and the recognition and the people who were inspired by the fact that I had just got up to finish my race. 
So that's the first thing. When you fall, you get back up again. And I started with something heavy because I told you that was a very pivotal moment for me. And um, to this day, I mean, it just gives me chills to think about because I can't believe that God forced that (laughs) moment upon me to experience as a 16-year-old. But thank God he did because I I just became such a better person because of it. Now, next, we're going to... We're going to fast forward a few years into my freshman year at the Naval Academy and talk about why my next point is humility is what you need in yourself before you can ever succeed. And the Naval Academy is full of people who are straight A students. They were all class president. They were all varsity athletes. They're all captain of their sports teams. Everyone was a rock star in high school. I mean, period. No one is going into the Naval Academy that was just like average at school. So, and, and that was me in high school. I was a track star. Um, I, you know, I was involved in student government. I was class president. I focused on my grades. I did these projects. Like I was what I thought was hot stuff. And then I go to the Naval Academy and then everyone's hot stuff. And I'm like, great, now I'm just normal. So my, I knew the Naval Academy would be tough, but I was just completely naive at actually how difficult it would be. Like just the subject matter in itself. Like, I mean, just quizzes were like final exams for me. Everything was super, super, super tough. And I'd never had a study like this before in my entire life. So I'm walking in to the Naval Academy thinking, I'm going to do great. Like, I'm going to own this school. It's going to be like, I know how to study. No stress here. No skin off my back. I got it. Well, my very first exam ever was chemistry. First six-week exam, freshman at the Naval Academy in my plea beer. Boom. Six-week exam, chemistry. Guys, I didn't just fail it. I failed it so bad, like the people who needed curves were thanking me. I bombed my chemistry exam. This was the first test in almost my entire life I had ever failed. And it was my first college exam and my first difficult class, my very first year. And I, you know, I can't even remember what I got, but I think it was, I mean, it was bad, obviously. And thinking, that's it. Like, I can't you know, this is my introduction to the Naval Academy. There's no way I'm going to make it four years. I can't even pass my very first test. Like, are we joking? And then, you know what I did? I went to the store and I bought the coziest blanket I could find and I curled up and I napped for an hour and then I woke up and I realized I'm either going to flunk out of the Naval Academy and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to make the cut or I'm going to have to double down, triple down, put my butt to work, and earn my spot. And guess what? I deserved to be there. Even if I had to work five times harder, I knew I deserved to be there. I may not be smart in chemistry, but I'm still smart, and I'm still resourceful, and I can still do this job, and I can still be this leader. And this is what 18-year-old Kelly was telling herself at the time. But guess what? That first failure in chemistry and that test taught me that like things are not going to be handed to you in life. You cannot just expect to walk in and be amazing at everything. You're going to have to learn your way just like everyone else did before you. So it might as well start now. And I'm glad I failed that first test because had I passed it, I might have been overconfident and be like, oh, here we go, Naval Academy. Round two of success. 
Kelly Hall's here. Step aside. No. No way. That is not what was going to happen there. I was going to have to work my butt off. So I'm happy that that slapped me in the face, got me to reality, and told me to focus, but also to remind myself I could be there. And the rest of my time, I continued to fail. I've continued to have setbacks, but I knew how badly I wanted to be there and what it was going to take. And that lesson was learned in that very, very first test because I realized how badly I wanted it and how how much I wanted to be there and how much I still wanted to succeed. So humility is something that we all need. And guess what? I continue to fail consistently, even as an officer. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know these certain processes. I need to learn how to do X, Y, or Z. But guess what? I'm going to be just as resourceful, just as persistent as that plebe who failed her chemistry test, and I'm going to learn it because I deserve to be an officer, and I am a naval officer, and I still have the potential to keep up with those who may be book smarter than me. I can do this. And so I've I've focused on my strengths. I'm also focused on my weaknesses, but I also remember to stay humble in the process, and that's it's really going to help you go a very, very long way in your career or your personal journey or whatever it is. So next, this one is a heavy one, guys. Doing what is best for you will always be the right move. Think about that for a second. You might think, oh, that's selfish right off the bat. That's super, super selfish. You can't always just do what's best for you. That's not the way the world works. All right. You're right. You know what? There's moments where you do have to be selfless and that happens a lot. However, big mountain pivotal moments when you have the ability to do what is best for your heart, your journey, your will, your life versus others, those are the moments you're going to reflect back on and be like, dang, I could have done it this way or I could have done it my way. And my way is what I wouldn't have regretted. And I say this because what a lot of people don't know is when I was first assigned to a ship as a surface warfare officer directly out of the Naval Academy, and I've told this story millions and millions of times, but I really, really struggled. And you can probably see this theme where, you know, I've struggled a lot in a multitude of ways in my life, but as a surface warfare officer stationed on the USS Pickney, you know, things didn't come naturally to me. Engineering didn't come naturally to me. Driving the ship didn't come naturally to me. Um, there were certain things that did come natural to me, like being around my sailors and caring for others and, you know, trying to be that quality officer for them. But all in all, the role did not come easy to me. And through the process, for the first time in my life, I ended up – I ended up, I didn't know at the time what they were, but I started to experience migraines. And if you have never had a migraine before, you absolutely have no idea what this feels like. And if you're thinking, I wonder if I've had a migraine, that means you have never had a migraine. (laughs) I promise you. When you get a migraine, I mean, for me, it was like an all stop moment where you can't you can't go outside. You can't see the light. It feels like someone was squeezing my forehead and like, like using like a rag to like turn it and like 
just twist it like you're twisting out water. Like it just, there was so much pain in the front part of my brain. And then on top of that, I got migraines with aura. So that what it means is I had a reaction from my migraines. So for me, that was nausea. So consistently, I and I started getting these migraines from stress and anxiety. And the reason was I didn't feel like I was doing the best job I could possibly do, even though I was doing the best I could possibly do. I was doing everything I could to learn and be a great SWO and be amazing on the ship and do all of these things. I was following the checklist and following the lists and listening to my chief and listening to the other officers, but I just wasn't succeeding. And what I like, maybe I was doing okay, but I just put so much pressure on myself to be the best I could be. And it stressed me out to the point where my body started reacting physically and I started getting these migraines. So I had no idea what they were at the time. And this went on for about a year on the ship before I started seeing our ship doctor. And he was like, maybe you have food poisoning. And I was like, I don't think I'm getting food poisoning every week. Um, but I was like, maybe I do. And so I just started like being really aware of what I was eating. And then, you know, I didn't really know what the issue was, but I was still getting these beating headaches, still struggling to be outside in the sun. I could barely see. I always had to have my sunglasses on. Um, you know, I was getting sick from the migraines and this was happening almost twice a week. So finally I ended up connecting with a doctor who connected me to a neurologist. And after a two year process, this neurologist said, Kelly, you have migraines. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And she was like, all of your, you would like, literally it's black and white, like 100% you get migraines with aura and we need to take you off the ship and start testing out some different ways to treat you to hopefully have them dissipate. So you can go back into full service and you can go back on the ship and you won't be sick all the time. And I was like, okay, this is super scary because I just, kind of grew up believing that seeking medical treatment was a weak thing to do. Um, I didn't have a a single sick day in my entire pre-K through 12 journey. I'm not kidding. I never missed a day of school because I was sick. I was always that person that just like fought through stuff. I never got sick, had an amazing immune system, just never, ever saw medical attention. So here I am, 22, 23, and I'm seeing this neurologist. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I can't first of all, you're telling me I'm going to have to get removed from the ship. I can't do my job anymore. You're saying that I'm too weak to do my job. You're saying that I'm, I'm sick with migraines. Like I don't know anything that you're saying. And so all of that was already really petrifying for me because that meant I wasn't going to be able to see my entire tour through. That also meant that I was going to have this stigma follow me or so I thought throughout the rest of my career. Because there's something to be said about being a naval officer who gets pulled off medically from their ship. I mean, that's just that's just the way it goes. I mean, think back to middle school on your soccer team. When little Susie twists her ankle and she can't run anymore, you're like, oh, great, Susie. Now we all have to cover for you. You know, like immediately people think that there's this like stigma that you're just trying to get out of things. You're trying to get out of work. You're not doing your job. And innately as a human being, that's not who I am. Like I'm not trying to get out of work. I don't like, I want to be here. I want to make a difference. Like I joined the Navy. I went to the Naval Academy to make the biggest difference I possibly could. And here I am at my first assignment getting sick and none of it made sense to me. So I knew that if, you know, I got pulled off the ship, 
which I was being ordered to do. And I was going to have to seek medical attention and I was have to go to this medical board that people would judge me and they would ridicule me and that this might follow me in my career. And I would look like someone who was not a team player or look like someone who's not taking the Navy seriously. All these things were obviously adding to my stress and my anxiety. And so finally, I talked to one of my mentors who had also gone through a similar process medically. And she was unable to fulfill her time on the ship as well. And she had to seek medical attention. And I said, you know, how did you battle people judging you or making comments about you or thinking that you're trying to get out of this? And she said, all of that is so temporary. She said, in my my case, medically, you know, there was a shot that if I didn't seek medical attention, I may not be able to have children in the future. And she was like, when I think about that, who cares what people think about me in the interim when my the rest of my life is at stake here? My future, my family, like the husband I haven't met yet, this is going to affect that. And she's like, I care more about that than I do than I do what people think of me. And also I know my own intention. And that was really mind-altering for me because I care so much about doing a good job. I also care about others. I try to care less about what others think, but I, you know, I want to be successful. But I also know that I didn't willingly bring this upon myself. I didn't ask for this to happen to me. And that this could become a long-term issue in my life had I not got it under control. So I, in that moment, had to remember that it is best that I do what is right for me, for my health, for my well-being, for my life. And I did the scary thing. I ended up leaving the ship to go on limited duty and to really assess and attack my migraines and my medical condition and get them under control. And this process took about six months, six months of going to appointments continuously and, you know, trying different treatments and doing all of these different things. And then ultimately finding out that I have to receive treatment consistently, which would make me ineligible to go to sea duty ever again. And at this point, I thought I failed. Because sea duty, in my mind, equals the Navy. And the Navy is why I went to the Naval Academy. And the Naval Academy is what was going to help launch me into these challenges and this life and this this decision that I made at 17 to join the Navy because I wanted to maximize my potential. But I had to realize before going down that path, before seeking that medical attention, before really attacking this treatment, that I didn't fail And then my intention was never to fail and to walk into the experience failing. It was that these things are unexpected, but you have to remember to put yourself first. And that's okay. And thank goodness I did because had I not taken that scary, (laughs) scary, scary step to seek medical attention and to get my migraines under control, number one, I would not be healthy like I am today. 100 million percent. I'm a healthier, happier being. I rarely get migraines. My treatment works. 
And that's all because I took the time to assess it. But number two, I would have never been forced into applying into human resources. And I knew nothing about human resources before um, I submitted my application, but I knew that it was my last potential way to serve in the Navy and that the fact that I had migraines did not make me ineligible for that community. I applied for human resources. I ended up being about three of the 47 that applied to get selected. And I was sent to Columbus, Ohio, and my life has never been the same since. I found my niche. I found what I'm passionate about. I've found a career. I found the guy I'm supposed to marry through this path in that next duty station in Columbus. I found pageantry. I found passions. I found my purpose. And it's because I took that moment to put myself first. And now that I'm in a community and I'm healthy and I'm able to thrive in it, I attack it with every single thing that I am because I remember that feeling of failure when I left the ship. And now I can reflect on that and think, you did not fail. You learned a necessary lesson in that part of your life. And you need to take all of those lessons to the stage you have now, for me, that stage is recruiting. It's my ability to leave. I can be an officer. I can recruit people. I can change people's lives and give that everything I have and don't take it for granted. So if you're in that moment when you feel like it's selfish, remember that it's not. You need to put yourself first and you're not failing when you do that. Oof. All right. Got to take a second to breathe over here, guys, because I'm getting into my last point, which is the main one, honestly. And I didn't even really come to this realization until this past January. The final point for me is redefine what it means to win. Because you might think that you failed, but you actually might have just won in a very important chapter in your life, in a very, very important season in your life. For me, this bullet I I just immediately think of Miss California, USA, because I thought that that title was going to be the culmination of all of my hard work, all of my life lessons, all of those moments where I failed and picked myself back up again. And I had to learn humility and I was ready to be a mentor and a connector and be on this stage and represent and inspire women. Like that was going to be it for me. And I put all that I had into competing for Miss California USA. That was what's going to launch me into this audience to make this difference. And I thought that that title would really change the tide for me. And you know what? I went into that competition with absolutely everything against me. I was new. I had never competed in California before. I was 5'2", and I was tiny, and historically smaller women have a difficult time. I had no connections. I did not know the director. I did not know any of the women. I had was not favored whatsoever. I wasn't utilizing the California resources and the California photographer and the California glam team. I wasn't doing typical California things. I just was bringing the heat from myself, from my soul, the passion that I had, and I knew I could do this. And this was my very, very last competition. So when I went into that competition, day number one, I felt this peace because there was no other way I could have prepared. There was no other way 
I could have visualized it like I was ready for it. And you know what? Going through those four days leading into my final competition, the night before finals, so that Saturday was preliminaries, and I remember going through the preliminary preliminary competition and thinking, Kelly, you can do this. This is yours to take if you want it. And I was focused and I was excited and I was ready. That night, the night before finals, I felt this weight on my heart, absolute weight. And I felt like God was telling me, if this is, if this is what you are ready for, I'm ready to give it to you. I was like, I think that means Miss California. I think that means if he, if I'm ready, he's going to grant me this job, this journey. And I was like, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to be Miss California. I'm ready to take that stage. I'm ready to have this title to make this big impact. Like, I'm ready to glorify you. I'm ready. So the day of finals, after having that conversation with God the night before, I had the utmost peace the entire time. I was the very second to last to get called into the finals. I was number 14 out of 15. (laughs) Talk about what I should have had a panic attack, but somehow I was as cool as a cucumber on stage. I was fine because I'd had that conversation with God and I was like, let's do it. And so I competed and I did swimsuit and I did gown and I was calm and I was calm and I was ready. And I knew there was nothing that's going to happen that I haven't prepared for. And I have God on my side and I have my faith and I have my confidence and I can do this. And so as we got ready for the top five question, I felt like I nailed my top five question and we got ready for the results. I said, this is it. This is everything I've worked for. There's no reason I don't deserve this. There's no reason I shouldn't win. There's no reason I can't represent this state and do the most with this title. So as the top five got called, fourth runner-up, third runner-up, second runner-up, I was calm. I was not surprised because I knew I had earned my right to be there. And I got called into the final two, and I'm standing on stage And you can just imagine the music and the lights and it's just you and another woman standing hand in hand together with the entire audience watching you and a whole global audience watching you online and there's cameras everywhere and there's a spotlight down on you. And I'm at complete peace because, again, that same 16-year-old who had prepared and prepared and prepared for that track meet I was just ready to run my race and finish it and win because I knew I could do it. But I fell, and I had to learn that lesson. And I, those same emotions came flooding back to that moment when I'm on stage as a 27-year-old holding hands as the potential Miss California USA, and I hear the words, the name we're about to announce is the runner-up. And I take a deep breath and I think, you can do this. And then my name was called first. I was the runner-up at Miss California USA and I did not win. And I was literally in shock because I just had felt such peace this entire day. And I felt like my conversations with God were so transparent. And I had done everything I possibly could have done. 
There was not a single thing I could have changed in order to win that crown and to win the title. And I walked away so perplexed and I spent the next day so perplexed and I just repeated and replayed all of those moments, all the intricacies of the competition in my mind and not understanding why I did not get the title, why I was not deserving, why God would not grant me something I was so ready to take charge of and to make a difference in. And my mom told me a couple of days after Miss California we don't know why God did not think Miss USA was big enough for you. That means there's something bigger and better and greater that you need to take lessons from this in and learn from in order to prepare for it. And I, it's not what I wanted to hear at the moment. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that I, there's some plan that's bigger than Miss USA because that was my plan. That I wanted to be the winner. I wanted to win. I was ready. But now I, I look back and I, you know, I ate all the cookies and I did all the things and I had all the crying sessions and I moved forward. And I realize that the weeks following after that competition, I had more amazing people and followers and girls reach out to me and say, how I was able to impact them, how I was able to inspire them in multiple areas of their life, how they never believed in themselves before, or they never thought they could do X, Y, or Z, or they didn't think about the Navy or the military, something that I had said had touched them. And that's when I realized I won. I didn't win a crown and I didn't win a title but I won over other people's hearts. That means I won. And I have now redefined what it means to win. Because when my name was called runner-up, I thought I failed. Failed. I didn't win. I astronomically failed. I wasted money on a gown and hair and makeup and headshots and everything that seemed materialistic, I wasted. But I didn't. Because all those things led to me being able to impact others in the smallest or the biggest of ways. So whatever you think you're doing and you're seeing as a failure, you don't know how it's impacting other people's lives or how it's impacting your future. If we had all the answers, then we wouldn't need God. If we had all the answers, we wouldn't need self-help books. <laughs> if we had all the answers, life would probably be really, really boring. But that's the point is that we don't. We don't know why we're going through these journeys. We don't know why we have to fail in order to learn. We don't know why we have those tiny moments of successes, but then 90 more moments of feeling like you failed. And then you start to realize the person that you're becoming in the process and you really learn to celebrate all of those moments when you felt like your hard work was wasted because it actually wasn't. It was turning you into a winner. So don't forget, guys, when you fall, get back up again. And the world will either metaphorically or physically give you a standing ovation for getting back up again. And the humility is needed 
needed, needed, needed for when you succeed. You will need to be a humble person. So learn early on to be humble because you're going to appreciate that quality later. Don't forget to do what is best for you because doing what is best for you will always be the right move. And redefine what it means to win. Because you may have thought that you failed. But in some way, you won. And you most likely won the hearts of others in the process. I told you guys this would be a heavy one. And you probably learned a lot more about me than you thought you were. But I promise you, this journey that you're going through in your own way, in your own story, it's going to be impactful. It's going to be impactful in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, but also in the way that you serve others. So every time you think, I'm I'm just failing and I'm not growing, you have to go through what you are doing today in order to grow through it all later. It's a huge misunderstanding that you failed. You never failed. You learned. And you're going to be better for it. Thanks, guys. Hey, you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you have 10 seconds of your time, please take time to go to Apple or Spotify and rate my podcast. 10 seconds of your time means the absolute world to me. Also, you can follow me and all of my upcoming episodes on my Instagram at misunderstood.podcast and follow me on at Kelly Renee Hall for any updates. Thanks so much for your support, guys. Keep tuning in on Misunderstood.